Welcome. This is Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie today. I'm so proud and honored he lets me sit in this chair, okay? Nobody tell him what goes on when he's not around, okay? Uh, this is a special day. Anytime she clears her schedule to join us, it is, uh, well, it's like royalty. It's like having royalty on the show. Senator Nina Turner, the one and only glowing former Ohio State Senator, a fellow at the Institute for, let me get it right, race, power, and political economy. Did I get you it right? Got it. Maybe you got a lot it. of order. <laughs> uh, Senator, we're so honored to have you here as always. Um, you're special. And I learned something from you every single time you speak. So let's get into it, shall we? Thank you, Sharon. Yes, we shall. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to be here with you, sitting yeah. in for the one Just and only Dr. Rashad. I got goosebumps because she's here. All right, uh, the first story of the day. Racist man fires a gun at an electric company salesman. You see the perp. Now, we'll tell you what's going on. Fort Worth, Texas homeowner Edward Camp shot at a black electric company salesman when he arrived on his doorstep. The salesman who survived the encounter was choosing to hide his identity when speaking with NBC5 Dallas Fort Worth News. An identified man who does work at the electric company Reliant Energy was knocking on doors in East Fort Worth asking homeowners about their bills. That was earlier this month. NBC DFW reported when the veteran sales agent approached a residence on Purrington Avenue, he was shook up after he saw how the resident responded. He just came out and just straight pointed the barrel at me and then shot me and told me to get away from here. And the man told the outlet uh, these horrifying details. I'm lucky it didn't hit me. It hit the table. Atlanta Blackstar filling in the details for us. Now in NBC DFW's news broadcast, the victim showed the damaged tablet which was shattered by the bullet. Just amazing, he wasn't injured. He said he usually holds the device at the side of his body, but that day it was in front of his stomach. He was able to escape, call the police who responded to the scene. This is the one thing I always fear, getting shot at the door and today it happened. The man explained for the outlet, I got two daughters. I could have been in the hospital dead now. Suspect was not inside the home when officers arrived. A spokesperson for the Fort Worth Dallas Police Department told Atlanta Black Star on Monday, 58 year old Edward Camp was arrested on February 13th, charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Jail records show Camp is being held at Tarrant County Correction Center on a $150,000 bond. Here's the response from the salesman's employer. Reliant released a statement saying they're working with police on the investigation. We're in the process of learning more, but thankfully the sales agent was not harmed. Well, not physically, perhaps. Safety and security of sales agents is our top priority, the statement said. Now, Senator, I don't want to disparage uh, Reliant in any way because they're not the focus of this story. But I do wonder when people will realize the times we live in. I'm not sending any black person out to go door to door in Fort Worth or perhaps every other part of this country. And I don't think that that's radical. I think that that is, well, obvi, 
think it's obvious, Senator. What say you um, react to this incident? Unfortunately, Sharon, you are correct. There were days gone by, just as few as 10 years ago, you know, that it was safer to go door to door. But we know what happened to this reliant worker is an example of the decay in this, in our society, our gun obsessed society. The society says shoot first and ask questions later. And your point about the type of community, I mean, at least reliant can look at the type of community that they're sending people in and maybe choose accordingly. That's a really sad thing to say in the 21st century, but it is a reality. And based on how the homeowner responded to this worker who does not want to be identified by calling him the N-word, it is very clear how he feels about black people. He shot this man and but for a tablet, who knew a tablet could uh, pose as a bulletproof vest. But in this case, that tablet was a bulletproof vest for this man who not only could have been just shot, he could have been killed. So it's, it's, just, it's these are sad times, Sharon, it really is. Yeah, they really are, Senator. And I wonder when we, we do these cases, and indisputable Dr. Ritchie's team, they do such a good job at the follow through. Because often I, you know, the news reporter and me, the investigative journalist, um, the news cycle moves on and people forget and their plea deals and lesser charges and things. and. I don't know if I believe that there should be uh, increased penalties, laws on the book for this kind of thing. But I believe in calling a thing a thing, if you will. Um, What can we do to try to put up a roadblock, deter these bigots from opening fire at first knock? Yeah, and and we know there are countless stories over the years of people. I remember a story of a a young a teenager that was seeking refuge and just knocked on the door, and the homeowner just opened up fire. Now, there's one thing to be concerned. Like there's there's no doubt. You and I are not debating whether or not homeowners have a right to feel safe in their house, but somebody knocking on your door is not an imminent threat. You don't have to open the door. You can look out the window, look at the door to see. If in fact it is, but that's not the debate. To open the door with pointing the barrel of a gun at somebody and then to open fire on that person. So what can we do? First of all, people need to stop acting a fool. Yes. I mean, yeah, laws are important, but people's actions, that gut instinct to not only take your gun to the door, but to shoot at this person first says that there's something wrong with this person, Sharon. So yeah, laws are important, but how we comport ourselves is important as well. And even if there had been, and there's a law, there's laws on the books right now. So this, he's been charged with, with aggravated assault, meaning what he did was illegal. So that's already on the books. But what do we do to stop people from responding this way immediately out the gate? And that means that people like this man have to search their souls and their hearts to determine why you thought that was the best course of action in the first place. And then secondly, because we do already have laws on the books for this, the book must be thrown at this man. He must be made an example. And hopefully by making him an example that may, may or might deter mm-hmm. others from acting out in the same way. Yeah, what happened to those laws that were on the books were like, you know, they had them for certain drug offenses that people were charged with, where the judge had no discretion. You get the book right. thrown at you, that's it. Um, but real quick, before we move on to the next one, Senator, You're an activist, you've been one your whole life, you campaign, you've won public office. I just want to live. 
and I want my child to live and I want black people to be able to live. What what is the advice? Because I can't imagine that you have not um, felt some trepidation going and knocking on doors. I don't know how long it's been. Yeah, I have Sharon. I mean, just just in 21, 22 when I was running for Congress and going door to door, not just me personally going door to door, but also I had staff, people going door to door, both staff and volunteers going door to door. And it wasn't a moment that I didn't fear that something may happen. I mean, you hope that it doesn't. You send people out two by two. You tell them what to do to knock on the door, you know, step back, have the t-shirt on or the sweatshirt on so they're easily identifiable. But even in cases like that, you just never know. And what happened to this this man, I mean, he he wasn't, you know, according to all reports, he, he didn't do anything wrong. This ho- homeowner just decided to, again, shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, you and I were talking off camera about maybe gone are the days where people can go door to door. And I remember growing up that that was the thing, you know, so it's just really a sad day in America where people can't this even neighbor to neighbor. What if he wasn't working for a company? Maybe, you know, your neighbor is knocking on the door just to even ask for some help and to think that this person would shoot first. And ask questions later is really a sad commentary on the state of our nation, Sharon. I sold Girl Scout cookies, you know, fundraisers. Is that I, I would never let my daughter. I don't even want her trick or treating. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to take away all joy. So I, I, I will go out there with her and a few people we know. But it's a sad commentary. And like you said, if I'm not expecting anybody, guess what Sharon Reed does? I don't even care if the TV's on. They hear me moving around in there. I don't right. answer the door, Senator. That's right. My house. Okay. That's right. But I'm not gonna open the door. Guns blazing. Okay. It's a it's a sad commentary. Mistrial in the case against the cop who shot Casey Goodson Jr. last Friday. An Ohio jury failed to reach verdict in the murder case for the former Franklin County Sheriff's Deputy Jason Mead on the left there. Stands accused of killing. 23-year-old Casey Goodson Jr. on the right, December 2020, resulting in a mistrial. It was outside of his family's home in Columbus, where Goodson was fatally shot multiple times in the back by Meade. So right there, that's what you really need to know. But I'm going to go further. Meade was charged with murder, reckless homicide, following year. The incident having happened amid a wave of high profile killings of black Americans at the hands of law enforcement. Okay, again, so this is just the spotlight was white hot at the time. This has been going on. Associated Press reported on Friday, February 16th, Franklin County Court of Common Pleas Judge David Young announced a mistrial, a backtrack, hailing the jury for their efforts. The jury told him they could not reach a concrete decision, but he urged them to keep deliberating. Over the jury deadlock hours later, the judge confirmed the mistrial, quote, there were jurors back there that obviously felt that Jason Meade was responsible for the unjustifiable killing of Casey Goodson. And that should make a statement, Goodson's family attorney, Sean Walton, telling the outlet Atlanta Blackstar with the details here. Let's recap the shooting. Four years prior, Meade was assisting the US Marshals in a search of a fugitive who was not Goodson. Not. During this time, he claimed he saw Goodson brandishing a gun inside his car, decided to 
trail him to his grandmother's residence. Wow. This starts the deadly encounter. Meet allege Goodson was holding a weapon and plastic bag when he was approaching the home. Meade reportedly ordered Goodson to put his hands up, but opened fire when he didn't comply. Compl- <laughs> He's at his grandmother's door. He's at his grandmother's door. Comply with what? I don't know if I'm being stuck up. What, what on earth? This is all it takes? Goodson's family has reiterated that he was holding his keys and sandwiches in his hands while also having AirPods in his ears. Every bit of that is normal. Every bit of that you can relate to, normal things. They said that he had a license to carry legal and didn't contest that the weapon may have been on him. It was discovered inside the kitchen with the safety on. Weapon has nothing to do with why he was shot. During his trial, Meade argued he was acting in self-defense after Goodson, who had his back turned, pointed the gun at Meade. There's no body cam footage of the shooting, so we're still there, right? Still not required, still doesn't have in every jurisdiction that thing where it automatically kicks on. So it's, well, the cops were against a a dead man who can't speak. Judge is expected to meet with both teams to determine the next steps in this case, according to the reports. Quote, we place jurors in impossible situations because they have to be clinicians. They can't use empathy and sympathy and that type of stuff, meets attorney Mark Collins said per WCMH. But you know, the reality is they did the best that they could, and that's So justice was served today. Well, justice was not served, and I'm not blaming the jury, but I have a problem. I'd like to start there, Senator, with that last comment by the defense attorney who's priming the next jury for a retrial here. Juries actually do work with empathy. They do it every day when they look at people who are accused who look like them or they know someone like that and they're more willing perhaps to buy their story than someone else's. This is cuckoo or Cocoa Puffs. He had sandwiches. Yeah, it is. He had sandwiches. He had sandwiches. And I don't appreciate this defense attorney's commentary here, but I guess he's allowed to make it, Senator. Make this make sense if you can. He is allowed to do that because he is defending his, his, his client. So he's gonna say that. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I agree with, I mean, look, the jury did the best that this jury could do. It was a jury trial. And because it was a jury trial and they couldn't come to an agreement, that's why it's a mistrial. So let's repeat that for our viewers to understand. Now, the fact that the defense attorney is saying that juries are not supposed to have empathy or sympathy is called being human. Of course, we try to solve for those emotions, but you can't totally take those emotions out of the equation. The fact that this deputy, thought it okay to shoot this black man in the back. That's key. And then to say you thought your life was in danger when this person's back was turned to you. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But oftentimes, Sharon, the science shows very clearly that when you are in those emotional, when you're in those moments, you know, we're trying to analyze what was in the mind of this officer when they opened 
fire. So that's one thing. The second part of this is that we know law enforcement can just say, I thought my life was in danger. And whether they really thought that or not, that is a defense that they can use thanks to the United States Supreme Court. So this is a complicated subject in terms of how we deal with this as a nation. One thing that we do know, they kind of always seem to fear for their lives when black people, for the most part, mm-hmm. when you do the comparison, when black lives are involved compared to somebody else. And that raises the issues of biases, our internal biases, cultural competency, how this society, and we are as individuals live in the society, see black people compared to anybody else. It is very clear, both academically on the social science side and on the hard science side, that we as a society, whether we're in law enforcement or not, are programmed to see black people, particularly black men, as more criminal and more dangerous than anybody else. And that in and of itself, Sharon Reed, is dangerous to black people. Yeah, it is. And if you don't care about black people, let's just take what you said a little bit further. Black people aren't any more dangerous than anybody else. So if you're a police officer who is predisposed to see blackness as a weapon and dangerous, what about everybody else? Aren't you leaving yourself open there? It's like, and I've used this before, so forgive me. But when they would throw at me at the anchor desk, police looking for a black man, I'm not going to say that. Every black person doesn't look alike. Okay, I had a floor director, and I'm thinking, well, maybe it's him. See the person who escaped. So you're not even helping the public if this dangerous person, this assailant, is out there and desperate they are to catch him. You're not helping. So I think that's something to look at. But I, I prefer since we can't get around these biases, and and they really should be weeded out, and people have got to be deprogrammed and. And then get some sense put into them in the academy and before. Maybe it can't just be several weeks, it's got to be years perhaps, but who would do that? But I, I really particularly want to stick with the protocols. You thought you saw a gun, so you started trailing it. Turn the lights on. Why don't you turn the lights on? So a man with AirPods in carrying a sandwich isn't going to be startled and turn around and then be shot dead outside his grandma's house? This can't possibly be a situation where protocols were followed because this is, if it is, then we're all doomed. Okay, so let's cut the crap here. This officer should be on the hook, I believe, for this man's death, who was minding his own business. But I also believe that there are things that are so obvious jumping out at us, Senator. It's either all or nothing. How can that be possible? This is the protocol. Yeah, no, it's true. He 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 probably was not following protocol, and if that is the protocol, then God help us. You know, mm. these departments need a new protocol, and if he's that afraid, maybe he shouldn't be a law enforcement officer. Because yeah. I won't deny that there are times when law enforcement are in some pretty you know dangerous situations. I mean, my son is in law enforcement. I worry about him every single day. You cannot walk around thinking or or feeling as though you're going to just shoot people in the back or you're just going to shoot again, shoot first and ask questions later. And Sharon, your point about this law enforcement officer pursued him, pursued Goodson. He didn't have to do that. 
And if he thought something really was going down, he didn't call anybody. And you're right, where was the camera? See, that camera footage protects everybody. It also protects law enforcement too, at those times where people lie or exaggerate, which does happen. So it it helps the public, but it also helps the law enforcement officers as well. But of course, in this situation, we do not have it. Uh, my 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 condolences to the Goodson yeah. family uh, for this, and we shall see what the next trial yields. Sharon, I'm just so tired of this slow singing flower bringing no no good reason for. It. I can't make sense of it. I can't. And we're looking for a cure. Thought we'd have one by now. But you know, there are things that are preventable. This woman has terminal cancer. Didn't have to come to this. It was due to negligent prison staff. You know, that thing where they catch it early and you have a shot, you're going to be okay. They just get you the treatment you need. But then this is Mississippi. Susie Balfour, age 62, filed a lawsuit this week alleging that healthcare per Providers contracted by the Mississippi prison where she was incarcerated for decades, withheld her cancer diagnosis and left her to suffer in pain for years. Suit includes multiple health care companies and dozens of physicians and nurses for violating her constitutional rights and denying her timely and proper medical care, leaving this cancer that developed in her breast undiagnosed for years until just before her release. I guess at that point, it's on you to deal with, huh? Balfour was serving time behind bars at the Central Mississippi Correctional Facility for 33 years. For at least 10 years during her sentence, the suit alleges health care providers named in the suit failed to recognize or outright ignored the presence of suspicious masses in her breast. Even though Balfour complained of pain, tenderness, and lumps, Atlanta Black Star with the details. She had infrequent mammogram appointments between 2011 and 2021, in which doctors noted in multiple reports over the years that the calcifications forming in her breasts were increasing, but benign or probably benign. Well, let's pause there because then I could be a doctor, right? I've not taken one medical school course, but I could guess that I could be a doctor then, right? In Mississippi, contracted by the Bureau of Prisons down there, I, I qualify. There's more, probably benign. However, according to Balfour's attorneys, some doctors, billing records indicate doctors were providing services related to malignant neoplasm in breasts that suggests they may have already detected cancer. I'd say that's a good, that's beyond a guess. That's what you would call a hypothesis, right? It's an educated guess and perhaps more. It wasn't until November, 2021 that Balfour received a biopsy. Okay, almost 10 years, which revealed cancer cells. She was not notified until mere days before her release, December, 2021 that she had breast cancer, according to the complaint. After her release, Balfour went to another doctor, underwent more exams, which confirmed it. She had stage four breast cancer that spread to her lymph nodes, bones, and liver. It is not the diagnosis you want. 
The suit maintains that the defendants allowed her cancer to progress from stage one, which was treatable, to stage four, which is spreading throughout her body and untreatable. Because of the defendant's deliberate indifference, the suit states surgical intervention such as a mastectomy is simply not an option. Balfour's condition is now untreatable and it is terminal. Let's get to a possible cause of her cancer ailment. Suit states that during Balfour's incarceration, she and other prisoners were required to clean the prison with chemicals known to cause or contribute to causing breast and other cancers without any protective equipment. The suit purports that at least 15 other incarcerated individuals at CMCF have cancer and are not receiving necessary life-saving treatment. Suit seeks compensatory and punitive damages. What about jail time? This is horrific. I don't wanna hear about Putin's horrible, disgusting behaviors. You better go down to Mississippi and see about something. Let's give you the response from the prison only because I have to. I I don't know why they would even respond to this. I would shut up. I would just shut up at this point. You're not to be trusted, but it's here. The team got the statement. Spokesperson for Mississippi Department of Corrections told the Mississippi Free Press that the agency doesn't comment on active litigation. The outlet also reached out to the three healthcare companies named in the suit who have not returned a comment. Well, I changed my mind. Now I do want you to answer, okay? Because you got the money, right? You want to keep the contract, right? Isn't that what it's all about? Bean counter, right? Because you're only supposed to provide the bare minimum, okay? It's like that cheap baloney. We want to just keep costs down and people get bonuses and all that nonsense for keeping costs down and using free labor. Have we really come that far? Have we come that far? Are we different than other places? Uh, Mississippi would be indication one that we're not. Senator, she deserves money. That's the American way. There should be punishment, punitive, I think they call it. This is um, a cousin of murder, or maybe just outright murder. To me, that's my opinion. She could have been helped, but you see people who are incarcerated as trash, as lower than low, of not deserving of basic care, just basic care, because you want to save money. I'm disgusted, and we know this has been going on. Whether a woman's trying to give birth, is pregnant, all kinds of filth in these prisons. And let's not forget that not everybody in prison should be there, and not everybody in prison should be there for that long. And no one in prison should have to deal with these consequences. Not if you're a civilized nation who wants to preach to other people. You hit all the nails on the head. It is Mississippi. It's bringing a song to mind that was sung by the great, incomparable Nina Simone. Mm. Uh, Mississippi Goddamn is the title of the song. Mm. And she was talking about lynching and black bodies swinging from poplar trees. Well, symbolically, that prison was a tree. 
this did not have have to happen to Miss Belfort, if you, as you laid out, Sharon, just a callous indifference to her life. And the fact that, yeah, not just in Mississippi, but in most prisons in this country, in this industrialized nation, they see people there as throwaway no matter what. And we're really other nations handle imprisonment a lot different than we do. And your point, Miss Sharon Reed, about how we got the pure, unadulterated gall to oh. point our fingers at other nations. You know, there's something in, in, in the Christian Bible that says before you start to try to pull the mold out of somebody else's eye, you ought to get it out of yours. We have so many problems and challenges in this country. And it is especially because we purport ourselves to be better, to be of higher order, to be a democracy, to treat our people differently than these other countries that are more autocratic, but when an, an authoritarian, but when it comes down to it, examples like this one just remind reminds us and reinforces that ultimately we are really not much better than them. So That's this right. family, they, they sentenced this woman to a death sentence. Yeah. And as the reporting is showing, and thank you, Alana Starr, again, that others have contracted cancer as well. And then the, the prison, especially the healthcare providers, they don't want to say nothing. They don't want to say anything because they know that what they did is wrong. My last point, the commodification of healthcare is wrong. And that's what they're doing. Whether you're in prison or out of prison, Sharon, they commodify healthcare and they treat us all like we're a bunch of widgets. Because if the healthcare, if the cut, if the insurance insurance company says you you can't get that treatment that your doctor say you need, you might not get it anyway. Senator, this is what scares me and terrifies me. I have chills just listening to you bringing everything together. It's not the dogs at the top in Mississippi, the bean counters, who are implementing the policy. Is that so many people would go along with this. I think I could be wealthy if I were able to escape my own conscience and just go along and get it. I can't do it. You is and me that, both. It's, I can't do it. Who are these people? Senator, we would have been fired because Nina and Sharon would have given each other a look. I said, I, I gotta tell her. I can't. I'm not doing this. I this probably ain't right. Whistle. I wouldn't have let it go. Okay? That's right. Now I'm without a job and benefits. But I just, why are there so many people? Am I wrong? Are there no. so, Are they scared? Who would go along with this? Your neighbors. Who would yeah. do this? Yeah. It took a whole lot of people it to is. accomplish this. No? A whole lot of people. It's an indictment on those individuals and also an indictment on the system itself. The way we use imprisoned people in this country. You know, that debate about the 13th Amendment, you know, complicated amendment, uh, take free, you know, doing away with chattel slavery in the United States of America. But we know there's a loophole in it when yeah. it comes to people who are imprisoned. And we need to deal with that. We really do, Sharon. This is, yeah, this is incredible. Call it sad. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 uh... I want more. And I know we look to the federal government that's fully flawed in many areas to handle some of this. But I, I don't want to hear about quiet investigations and this and that. You better get down to Mississippi because there are right. civil rights. It's a civil rights debacle down there. And that's it happens right. to be aimed at people like us. That's this it. is indisputable. We have the honorable Senator Nita Turner, who is my absolute favorite. I aspire to be her. I just want to be in her presence. That's good enough, right? There's <laughs> only one Nina. 
back. But I can be in her presence. And so can you. You are a freedom fighter Mm. who's quite buff with those shoulders. (laughs) I will get there too. Okay. I told you, don't tell Dr. Ritchie what goes on when he's not here. Okay. He said, do the show the way you want to do it. And so maybe I took a few liberties. I got to stop. I wish a Karen would. He doesn't even understand the language. It's a language barrier. There was a mistake with rice, and now the food's cold. She's going to have to remake it twice. She's overwhelmed. She's probably on. I even started to film. I don't know what's happening, but I explained myself very clearly to her, and she got, like, offended. It was a mistake with hard rice. Like, someone undercooked the rice. Look at her flustered right there. Okay, can I go now? There's no frustration. I'm not frustrated at all. I'm very happy. I'm asking your receipt. Okay, but you asked five minutes after because you got mad. No, I cannot give you a free food. You're not giving any free food. You're in. I don't want to say what I want to say because I know. You sir, you sir, you're working at the Starbucks, right? And we we don't ask for receipts. We exchange it right away. I know. And you're being condescending. You just rolled your eyes at me. You're gonna get fired because of this. This will go viral. I would be so happy if you got fired because you're the manager and you're ruining you're ruining the business of Panda Express. I didn't. I didn't. You're jealous? You're jealous? Because I I can't provide something. I can go get it now. But you asked six minutes into our conversation. You were, this is at a lunchtime rush. People are walking out of the business because they don't even want to come in here. So what are we doing here? Either way, you're going to make me food again. I'll pay for it. No, it's cold now. I have money to buy my lunch and she wants to, I need warm food. And before the lunch rush to get out of here so I can go back to work. You're not sorry. It's not fair. You're making. You're embarrassing me. I feel like I should sue them for a lawsuit. You're embarrassing me. You're making a scene. I'm very embarrassed right now. No, you're embarrassing me. Everyone's looking at me. It's making my heart bump like a hundred beats a minute because I'm embarrassed. I try to understand. Okay. Okay. Thank you. She's still saying to pay for it. This is the world we live in. Well, that part I do agree with. This is the world we live in. A male Karen berating, harassing a Panda Express employee, manager over rice. And well, multiple choice question, if you will have it, Senator A, misunderstanding. B, having a bad day. C, jerk slash bigot. I'm gonna go with BNC if I may. <laughs> you know, maybe having a bad wow. day and and definitely a hint of bigotry there. I mean, just can't have some patience with one another. That could go a very very long way. And maybe the manager was having a bad day too. I'll say, sure. I I do. Agree. You know, managers are supposed to be trained to diffuse the situation. Mm-hmm. There's one point that he made about you know if I were the manager, besides trying to talk him down. Or I don't know, depending on whether I was having a bad day or not, <laughs> cuss him out, uh, <laughs> which you're not supposed to do. But but I would have I would have given it to him for yeah. free. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's it's not it's not worth it. But did he on either side? But did he have to do and treat her and talk to her and say there's a language barrier and all of that? You know, getting all up in his uh, self righteous feelings in that way? No, he didn't have to comport himself that way. He should not have done that at no, all. You're right. And if I were the owner, and I don't know if they have franchises at Panda Express, first of all, as the owner, I'd be eating there all the time. It wouldn't be good. 
I mean, you know, all the profits. <laughs> but I agree with you that on behalf of other customers and customer service, I, yeah. I do tend to believe customers always write type of thing. And I would have given the rice, you know, yeah, uh, within reason. And just, you know, said, you know, my bad, have a good day. I don't know that that would have appeased this, this, this one. Yeah, um, but right. but you are you're right about that. Let's bring it on down. He kept remarking that he was embarrassed. People were looking at him. I suspect they were looking because he was amped up and he wanted to argue. And you know those days where you can tell someone just wants to argue. He could have sweetly leaned in and just said, "You know what? This rice was a little undercooked. Can you just?" That's right. right. I, I do that, right. and they first of all, I don't mess with people, Senator, who are not cooking our food. <laughs> Duh. First of all, if you and I gonna get into an altercation over my food, I'm not it, eating there. No. It just have to be on the way. Just gonna keep it. Keep okay. my money back. I'm no, going somewhere right. else. We yeah. go somewhere else. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't need you, you know, messing with my food after I got smart with you, and then he has the money and the cash and stuff. This ain't Magic City. That's okay. It. Stop it. But I agree Look, with you. You don't mess with people who cook in your food and who have your toothbrush. Okay. Hello. Understand that. Hello. Okay. And I, well, I'm not going to talk about my younger days, but he made me real mad. So I, well. Not everything is right. I don't condone it. But this this occurs to you when you have access to someone's personal toiletries. Hey, we're all human, Sharon Reed. If you did it, he deserved it. I'm on on team Sharon Reed. Yeah, that's right. Now, I wasn't even 21, but I do recall it. I've asked for forgiveness and stuff, but it happened. I can't go back. Uh, This man... Well, there's no other way to put it. He stuck antiques in his rectum and put them on shelf. That's what it says. That's what he's accused of. This is in Texas. Michael C. Vest, a 60-year-old kilt-wearing man, was arrested last week after he was caught on surveillance footage from an antique shop. Okay. He's Looking, lots of people love antiquing, I think they call it. Allegedly grabbing several items off of the shelves, placing those items in his rectum before returning them to the shelves. The items were, oh dear, a makeup brush, a restoration hardware piece, an antique bottle opener, and a tobacco tent can. Now, I like my stuff new and in the sealed wrapper, okay? And I get why people like antiques, but this ought to make you think twice. This is what the surveillance shows. Now, according to a news release from the Harris County Constable Precinct 4 office, deputies on Thursday, February 15th, received calls from multiple concerned citizens. The incidents allegedly occurred at two different shops, the Antique Gallery of Houston and the Curiosity Shop, <laughs> uh, both of which are on Town Drive in Spring, Texas. The afternoon of February 10th, authorities said this went down. Law and crime with the chronicling here. Salacious details. Uh, per the affidavit, the owner of the antique gallery told deputies that she witnessed Vest pick up the makeup brush and hardware piece, shove both items in his anus. Then return the items to the shelf. She said the value of the damage 
items was $130. The owner of the curiosity shop on February 10 reported to deputies that she had reviewed security footage, showing a man matching best description doing the same thing with the bottle opener and tent can, noting that her damages were $74, law and crime again. Boy, they've done hella reporting here. Both complaints advised they had to throw away the items that were used in this incident due to feces being on them. Affidavit states, both provided the video surveillance of the incidents and both wished to pursue charges. Vess was released from the Harris County Jail on Friday after posting a personal bond of $100. It is not clear when he's scheduled to appear in court. Uh, well, I've been talking too much, Senator. So I'm going to just turn it over to you to oh. uh, give reaction here. I don't know what is um, the motivation for this kind of thing. I can tell you, you don't either. You would not have the motivation not. for this. But what do we do with this? I mean, apparently something is wrong with this man. That is that's crystal clear. <laughs> Yeah. Some kind of thrill seeking to do this kind of thing in public in this way. I, I, he needs some help. Seek help. Yeah. They, they, they should get him some psychological help. This is one situation where I'm saying, uh, yeah, uh, jail time. You know, the owners want, want him to pay for what he did and he should. He needs some psychological testing on this because yeah. this is just not normal. It's not. And I uh, debated as I was reading the news release if I were an owner of the curiosity shop or, or the gallery down there in Spring, Texas, if I would even want to make a complaint knowing it would go public. Already, you have to swab down, disinfect your entire shop. This is just what they know, okay? There's not cameras everywhere. I would have to handle this. And I don't want to deter, you know, antiquers are loyal people, they like to go to the same places. It's not their fault, but I don't know that I want to return to these places. Just visually imagining what went down here up, I don't want to be there. And I wouldn't know what to touch. They tell you, don't touch things because you don't want to break things. And scissors are valuables. Um, it's unfortunate. I'll give you the last word if you'd like it, Senator. Oh, no. Oh, no. You're good? Ms. Shane Reed, I'm good on this one. <laughs> you yeah, have spoken. Well, like I said, she is, uh, I bow down to you. And this was in the rundown. Had I known that it would, I would have said, take it out. Just said, take it out. Don't make Senator Turner react to this. She's just, this is a bigger platform. But a lot of them come to me and they'll say, how do you do it? You go through all these subpoenas. You got indicted. Now, in my whole life, I didn't know what the N word, I didn't know what indictment meant. You got indicted. More than Alphonse Capone, Scarface. He knows what the N-word is, of course. Let's stop it right there. He knows, okay? Uh, per Atlanta Black Star, Donald Trump sparked controversy at a Saturday campaign rally in Waterford Township, Michigan, where he fumbled a new version of the N-word into a speech about his ongoing legal troubles. The unforced error occurred as Trump attempted to say the word indictment, but instead blurted out N-word 
and an apparent Freudian slip before quickly correcting himself in his next breath. My whole life, I didn't know what the N word, uh, I didn't know what indictment meant. The GOP frontrunner fumed before hundreds of his supporters after a judge ordered him to pay $355 million as part of a crushing civil fraud verdict in New York. <laughs> Remember, it's now, it's now uh, pretty much a half a billion dollars because of interest, the other cases. It's a lot of money. Trump's speech dripped with grievances and led to immediate speculation whether the N-word miscue was intentional, as Trump has been known for stirring racial tensions with innuendo and dog whistles aimed at riling up his MAGA base. Which are you proud to be part of something like that? And that's just a question. You can't compartmentalize and leave one part out of it. That's a major source of inspiration and fuel for his base. Although Trump has never been recorded using the actual N-word, it appears, he has gone out of his way at times to inject the euphemism or the racial term into matters where it doesn't seem to fit. During a 2022 interview with British journalist Piers Morgan, Trump used the N-word to describe the word nuclear. While discussing Russian President Vladimir Putin's public comments about atomic weapons. Trump said, quote, Putin uses the N-word, I call it the N-word. He uses the N-word, the nuclear word all the time. That's a no-no, you're not supposed to do that. His use of it then was widely seen as bizarre and out of context with the term's typical use as reference to a racial slur. Meanwhile, Chris Kyes, Trump's Principal lawyer in the New York case told Newsweek Trump plans to challenge Judge Arthur Ngoron's definition of fraud that led to the $355 million judgment, saying, quote, the case raises serious legal and constitutional questions regarding fraud claims and findings without any actual fraud. Now, this is a real lawyer. I do need the team to, this is a lawyer, right? And he is barred, he's gone to law school. Okay, I'm getting the thumbs up. Asked about the timing of the appeal, Kai said, quote, it will depend on many factors. So it's hard to say at the moment, but in any event, it will fall within the 30 day clock. Time's a ticking. That is allowed by the court. Kai's accused New York Attorney General Letitia James and Judge Ngoron of trying to run Trump out of New York and said it was bad for the city. Newsweek, I mean, they are trying to run Trump out of New York, okay, Captain Obvious, that's the plan. We know want you here, okay? You're not good for the city, fraud's not good for people. James sued Trump, his two adult sons, Donald Jr. and Eric, Trump organization and two, well, executives, Alan Weisselberg and Jeff McConney, September 2022. And Goron, who oversaw the trial, found that Trump inflated his assets to get more favorable business loans. Late last year, continuing into early January, a trial was held to determine how much the former president and his associates would pay in damages. February 16th, and Goron ruled Trump will have to pay roughly $355 million in penalties from Weisselberg, McConnell. They'll also be barred from serving as an officer or director of any New York corporation or other legal entity in the state for three years. Donald Trump Jr. and Eric, they were ordered to pay more than $4 million and were barred 
from doing business in the state for two years. I don't think it's enough. I'm not the judge and I didn't hear every word of testimony, but just three years, it almost makes it worth it if you kind of just do the math and say, well, I got away with this. And again, um, we want to be clear here, right, Senator, that he's not, this isn't like a punishment. They're saying you must pay back the money. You you stole money, basically. Ill-gotten gains, you have to repay them. What do you make, though, of this man who perhaps is out of touch with reality or just incredibly bratty and privileged, who has so many grievances? You've been given given so much. And then you raped America's coffers and left office. And you brag about being able to get money from mere mortals. You know, and little funding at a time, little donations at a time. What do you make of someone who it just rolls off the tongue, these grievances? It's not, this isn't real, is it? Well, it's his privileged position. I mean, you named it. Is Bradius a grown, a very grown man at this stage of his life, almost 80, and still acting like a teenager? He is a privileged person, has been one since birth, and you can see it. He's never grown up at all. It's very clear. And yeah, you're right. They hey, he has to pay that money back. It was and I know they're gonna appeal, but yeah, they said that. You gotta do that. What three hundred and forty something million dollars? Oh yeah, bro, you gotta pay that back. They will appeal. I don't know, Sharon, you know, the the N-word thing, let me go back to that. Well, no, before I go there, you know, stock trading, for example. I mean, Trump has been clear about how he wants to exploit and pillage. I mean, he said he was going to become president, that he was gonna drain the swamp. He neglected to tell people that he was captain of the team. And though you have so many elected officials who are very much a part of that swamp, and I get it. If people are a Democrat, they don't want to talk about their teammates who are part of the swamp. If you're a Republican, you turn the other cheek on or turn turn your back on what your teammates are doing. Both political parties do that, and especially in reference to the stock trading. It should be illegal to do so, to be able to write the rules and then to make money from it. That is happening in this Congress as we speak, which has nothing to do with Donald J. Trump. Those were the rules before he became president. They are the rules now. And you have several elected officials over the course of many Congresses that have introduced legislation to stop this from happening. Mm -hmm. And you have no takers. Even when Democrats are in control, they will not change these rules because guess what? The corporatists of both parties make money from this type of corruption, Sharon. So whether it's Donald J. Trump or Nancy Pelosi or Joseph R. Biden, you name it. These people are making that kind of money and it is legal to do so. And we should put a stop. We should put a stop to it as a country. As far as the N-word, I don't know, Sharon, indictment. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't understand I mean, it. This, he, he, <laughs> and a Floridian slip you know, is an unintentional error that somebody makes that reveals some subconscious thoughts. And that mm. is what is really what makes this story intriguing Amen. in a way, mm-hmm. because he confused indictment. If only the N-word really did mean yeah. indictment, Sharon, this would be <laughs> a whole different world. I'm going to lighten up on them. Oh, I rarely do on this because I in indictment. <laughs> the N word, you know, and he mm-hmm. did rebound rather quickly. Now, if we're gonna hold Donald J. Trump accountable for this Freudian slip, then uh, oh my God, Joseph R. Biden. Oh good, Minnie. Okay, and you're right, and you're so right to boil it down to what it is. Okay, the first, the first part of your commentary, 
stop making it so complicated about all these regulations. You are writing the rules and you're benefiting from them. And it's both sides, okay? You, they can do away with that, but damn it, they just won't do it, will they? I wonder why, because to the victor goes the spoils. Oh, that's right, you think you own it. Are you that different than other places? I'm just asking for a friend. An angry Airbnb host sent a guest's wife a photo of him cheating. <laughs> According to a lawsuit obtained by the Daily Beast, when dissatisfied Airbnb guest and Mississippi resident Sean Mackey posted review of his stay, no idea. Super host Pamela Fuller would email his wife this photo taken by one of the property security cameras, which the suit alleges showed Mackey in um, the company of another female at 3.16 a.m. Would be just an innocent thing, he's helping a young lady out. Three in the morning, her car is stuck outside. Well, let's read on. Mackie rented a four bedroom, two bath home for a weekend with old friends in Memphis. But after Mackie refused to pay $960 in additional fees and penalties for allegedly Having extra guests over, what well, did you had to investigate? Okay, you said you were going to have this many people, and apparently you had more. Hmm. Violating two of the house rules as well, Fuller sent the image, which the plaintiff's marriage um, has suffered as a result. The suit says, adding the situation has caused Mackey extreme emotional distress, public humiliation, and mental anguish. The wife done dug in your Okay, and I be, I believe that would cause anguish. Okay, I'm yet to hear about personal responsibility, and I'm not condoning any of this, but there's more. According to the lawsuit, which was initially filed in September in July 2022, Mackey had planned to attend a football game in Memphis that fall, and a friend of Mackey had recommended the little bit more country Airbnb, the home which Mackey was renting for let's see, five sixty-seven a night. It could accommodate up to 12 guests per the listing. Little bit more country. This looks charming. Okay. Mackie booked the stay for September 9th to September 11th for a total of four guests. In his exchanges with the Airbnb host, Mackie said he may invite additional pals over for a very low key dinner, but they will not be spending the night. Sounds like a lovely time, Fuller replied. I would be delighted to host you. The New York Post giving us more on this one. In response, the suit says he was asked by Fuller to send the names of the extra guests and was sent a detailed list of the property's do's and don'ts, as well as a warning that the home had surveillance cameras on the outside. Lawsuit says Mackey sent a list of nine people he expected to join him and confirmed only four or five of them would be sleeping over. In response, the suit claims Fuller said she would only be able to accommodate eight guests. The Root chiming in with more details. About 45 minutes later, an increasingly frantic Fuller messaged Mackie again. Hello, Sean, I'm asking you to either add the extra guests now or have them leave immediately. We also have gotten complaints of disturbances, yelling, profanity in the parking area. Our home is in a quiet neighborhood, and we need to maintain that. Hmm. 
Roughly 15 minutes after that, Fuller messaged Mackey yet again. I'm very sorry, but you have violated the no party rule. Disturb my neighbors by cursing and yelling in the parking lot and an unauthorized guest. I'm asking you to leave now. I cannot allow you to stay. I'm sorry. Ooh. After that, she sent a third message saying Mackey violated the no party rule and must vacate the premises as he lost his privileges to stay at the Airbnb, according to a screenshot of the correspondence. Mackey insists in the lawsuit that he didn't throw a party. And only five people showed up at the home, all of whom he claims were not hooting and hollering in the parking area as alleged. Were they hooting and hollering elsewhere? This is just asking questions. Uh, with nowhere else to go, Maggie called Fowler to speak with her directly, according to the lawsuit, which Fowler's husband, Jamie, answered the phone. Maggie explained the situation to Jamie, who said Maggie could continue his stay without further consequence or interruption. The suit explains. Daily Beast, everybody's getting in on this one. Mackey's suit says he received checkout instructions the next morning per typical protocol. However, he and his guests didn't leave until the original checkout day, which was the following day per the suit. After leaving the property, he says he left a review on the website expressing dissatisfaction with his stay and requesting a $502.46 refund for at least one night's worth of his payment. Mackey then claimed Fuller harassed him after reading the review and said Airbnb removed it from the page. A few days later, suit claims he was, well, placed <laughs> under an investigation by the company and his account was suspended. During the battle over whether Mackey deserved to be on the Airbnb ban list, Fuller messaged him offering to send photo and video evidence of her claims that he invited a few too many people over, the suit says. They just gonna keep going with it. According to the suit, the videos were too large to be sent by text. Okay, so Feller said she would post them to YouTube shortly and have a wonderful weekend. Attached to the text message was a photograph depicting Mackie in the company of another female, not his wife, taken by one of the cameras at Fuller's Airbnb home. I'm gonna call her Miss Petty because she didn't do it now. They should just, you should just stop, okay? Shouldn't it? Two days later, Maggie received a bill from Airbnb for $960. According to the suit, he was being fined $160 for four extra guests, two nights at 20 bucks a night, $250 for violating rule number six, no local guests allowed, $250 for violating rule eight, excessive noise, $300 for moderation of your review, lawsuit alleges. Maggie refused to pay, which is when he claims things took a turn for the worse. Oh my goodness. Oh my. Retaliation up next. First failure to comply. The lawsuit says Fuller set up a phony email account with a sexual reference, apparently pretending to be Mackie on September 2022. The suit claims Fowler emailed the photo to Mackie's wife at her work. Subject line read nice bag. And the picture of Mackie and the unidentified woman was embedded in the body of the email. I love your bag. Where'd you get it? Message read. Mm-mm-mm. As a result, Mackie claims we do have a senator, an esteemed <laughs> senator on today. I I did not. I the rundown was set, and I apologize, Senator. But I, there's just a little more. If you will, if you will bear with us, you're a classy woman. But this is, uh, is there's something in here. We do need a comment from you on. Uh, so I'll just give you the rest. Okay. 
Mackie claims this ordeal has severely damaged his marriage and accuses Airbnb of aiding in the illegal and abhorrent conduct of their super host. Feller denied ever having correspondence with Mackie's wife and Airbnb has since filed a motion to compel arbitration per court document. I think he'd want to arbitrate and just like let this thing go quietly into the night. Feller has filed a motion to dismiss. Mackie has until February 21 to file his response to both. Um, Well, this is mental gymnastics. I don't know who the young lady is. Okay, and as he said, it was a few pals. Senator, there are some petty things going on here, and I, <laughs> I don't know if it's just a super host, but I, I got out of the Airbnb game because it was constantly. I had a house that served twelve, and I had it set up so cute. Okay, just so cute, and I would constantly get these complaints about you said no parties. I'd come and not even found drug paraphernalia. No, I'm not. I just was got to be too much, Senator. Now, did I do this? Okay. I hadn't thought of it actually, but I'd be pretty mad sometimes. But what do you make of this? He's upset. His marriage, his wife dug in his, and she's upset. You did not follow the rules. Write this ship for us, please. <laughs> the crew today, Sharon, you know, I appreciate them because so often I have to deal <laughs> with life and death issues here. So to have I have a moment of uh, oh, levity, <laughs> a few stories of levity, oh, thank definitely they'd have made my day. Sharon, this is made for reality TV uh-huh. right here. And Mackie should understand you got to follow the house rules, boo. Especially yeah, boo. when the person that controls the house has video. Now, you're right, Cherry. We don't know. Maybe that lady was his cousin, his sister, his auntie. We don't know. But she should go and come forward and say <laughs> all that is was seen on the video, the context is not quite right. And going to get this brother out of this trouble. But uh, uh, camera footage, you mess with the owner of the house, you mess with the wife of the house <laughs> that owns the house. No matter what the husband said, the wife mm-hmm. is getting the final say here. And as you said before, she is definitely, if we had a contest for Queen of Petty for this circumstance, oh, she wins the crown, baby. She made it the crown. Known. Yeah, he, yes. he don't mess with the wrong one. Uh-huh. On she one. She's on the float waving at people. Miss <laughs> Petty! John Oliver offers Clarence Thomas millions to just resign. Boo, if you will just go, we'll enrich you. Okay. Well, let's see. Her deadline and the Daily Beast, John Oliver's season 11 premiere last week, tonight, ended with what may be his boldest move yet when he offered sitting Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas $1 million per year plus a $2.4 million state of the art. Motor coach to replace the justice's current rig. If Thomas resigns immediately from the position, Oliver's offer expires in 30 days. I wonder if he's considering this. During the segment, Oliver said, quote, Clarence Thomas is arguably the most consequential justice on the court right now, and he's never really seemed to like the job. He said it's not worth doing for the grief. So what if he could keep the luxury perks that he clearly enjoys without having to endure all of that grief? We have a special offer for you tonight. We are prepared to offer you one million a year for the rest of your life 
if you simply agree to leave the Supreme Court immediately and never come back. Now, that's the offer, okay? Where this is not a negotiation. Leave and don't you come back there now and leave the robe too, right? Oliver then displayed a contract. This is a legal thing. He's had it drawn up. Not a joke, he said. This is real. A million dollars a year, and a year rather, until you or I die. He said he and his show spoke with legal experts who assured him the offer is legal. Oliver admitted he might regret this offer if Thomas accepts it. I could be doing stand-up tours for your retirement for years. Daily Beast with the comments here. Oliver had spent the bulk of the episode diving into the many conflicts of interest surrounding multiple members of SCOTUS, how the American public's approval of the court has sunk to 18 percentage points, and how important some of the cases in front of SCOTUS are now. Not just, well, the issues involving whether former President Donald J. Trump should be disqualified from the 2024 ballot due to insurrection under the 14th Amendment, or whether Trump has immunity from any prosecution, but also matters involving abortion rights, as well as the right of the federal government to regulate anything at all. Oliver zeroed in, however, on Thomas, whose lack of recusals in cases involving his wife, Denny, are just the tip of the iceberg compared to the financial favors Thomas's wealthy friends have given him since his appointment. He has this look on his face like, what you gonna do about it? You see it? I see it. And I don't want him looking at me. And I had this conversation with the team. I know I'm a guest here. But whenever they put up this picture, I have an extreme aversion to it. And it, I want him to stop looking at me. I need it off of there. And I thank you because it really throws me off. And it gets me quite emotional because I feel like he's targeting me. And it's, it sounds crazy. It's just a picture. I know. Put it back up and show them. And then tell me if you don't see it too. You see what I mean? It's the smirk. It's the eyes. It's the head tilt. I'll just keep my head down. Ooh, one such favor per 2017 episode of 60 Minutes and more recently questioned is a $267,000 loan that Thomas's were given for their beloved motor coach. Go ahead, look at this. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been an RV evangelist for decades, traveling the country in a 40-foot luxury motor coach that he purchased in 1999 after borrowing more than a quarter of a million dollars from a wealthy friend. This whole motorhome thing started because someone said it'd be a good idea. But a new report from Democrats on the Senate Finance Committee alleges Thomas's friend forgave a substantial amount of that massive loan. And nine years later, his friend forgave all the debt. The IRS considers debt forgiveness as a form of income, but Thomas never reported it on his financial disclosure forms, a likely violation of federal ethics rules. And he never reported it on his tax returns, potentially owing money to the IRS. Well, shouldn't there be an investigation like with Hunter Biden? And then something about taxes, and I think he paid the money back, Hunter. But I'm just saying, I would think there was an investigation. Oliver described the current SCOTUS as a breaking point. <laughs> Said legislative fixes such as enforceable ethics codes, term limits, expanding the number of justices might help. 
But he conceded that those ideas might not ever come to fruition. Which is why Oliver hoped a new coach worth 10 times Thomas's current one would appeal to him. The new $2.4 million rig features a bedroom with a king bed, one and a half baths, a fireplace, four TVs, a residential length fridge, plus a washer and dryer. Standing in front of the souped up motor coach, Oliver ended the episode throwing a stack of bills into the air and declaring 30 dates, Clarence. Let's do this. Your move, Clarence. Your effing move. Hmm. What about some others on the court? Is there more money that can be raised? Senator, I want you to tackle this one. This is a legal offer. Um, Clarence Thomas doesn't usually say much, although he did chime in a lot in this Colorado recusal case that the court was hearing. Suddenly he spoke first. I remember reading a poll that showed where he did not say anything. He had like, he was the last justice on the list. Even the new black magic lady on the court had already said more than he had, but suddenly he's leading the cause here. What do you make of this? Would the court be better if Clarence Thomas would just do what we all believe he wants? Take the money. Well, what a lot of wealthy men and or women want is power. So no, he's not leaving that court. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. you can't pay for that. Power is the key here. And we ask ourselves, why do ultra wealthy people run for office? Sometimes why do they want to be governors and presidents, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? It is because money is one thing, raw power is another. And to be a United States Supreme Court justice with a lifetime appointment is power. So no, Mr. Clarence Thomas will not be giving up that power. But John, I don't know, Sharon, now I think John Oliver wins the, he got the crown for petty today. That is quite petty. (laughs) It's just so petty and so real. And I'd like to see if there's other offers that are going to be made. Um, But the one thing that got me too is whichever one dies first. If Oliver dies, then the payments stop. Well, we don't know what could happen. I wish him longevity. but. To think that I I don't know if Clarence Thomas is mulling this over, but I do think that if he wants more money, no one's going to check him still. Just like when he wanted the raise and he started floating that, oh, I might resign. Remember that story, Senator? I know you do, do, right? So there are ways that he can get money without going to what he will view as a a liberal television comic. Um, I'll give you the last word on this one, but I, I don't know if. Clarence Thomas, if I were thinking of offering something similar, is the most uh, consequential justice. There may be another or two new ones that I'm thinking of who kind of work in tandem, Uh, but I could be wrong. I mean, Clarence Thomas is not the only problem on that court. Mm. You know, he's just a poster child for what. The American people are seeing, but certainly he is not the only one. So John Oliver is right in terms of expanding the court, which this current mm-hmm. president has rejected uh, doing. That would be one thing. Um, dealing with whether or not they should have lifetime appointments, maybe rotate them to another level of the federal court, because it's not Sharon. It's not just the United States Supreme Court where there are lifetime appointments. There are court below courts below the United States Supreme Court where lifetime appointments are are in effect and are at issue too. And those courts hear and see many more cases than United States Supreme Court mm-hmm. takes on. So we, we have a systemic problem here. And Clarence Thomas is just the current poster child for that. I, if I were a betting woman, 
Uh, Sharon Reed, I would say that this Supreme Court justice is not going to take John Oliver up on this offer because, again, this is really about power. Yeah, and Ginny won't let him anyway. Okay, Ginny <laughs> Thomas is not going to let him. But I think you're right. It's not working because remember what lifetime appointments on the Supreme Court were supposed to do. They're supposed to keep you out of politics, that's not right. beholden. And that's not what's going on here. It's it's not. It's like, ha ha, there's nothing you can do about it now. Again, and, and the same offer could be made to the people in Congress. Again, those stock stock yes. options and being able to stock trade. The system. What are you going to do about it? Right. It's know? just stinking. I can smell it from here and I'm in Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, How many right. hours drive is that? Senator, yeah. it is always a pleasure. And I leave happier and more knowledgeable. Like I said, whenever we are graced with your presence, tell people what you're up to, where they can find you besides everywhere and in the gym. In the gym, <laughs> definitely in the gym. Well, the pleasure is always mine, Sharon. I think we make such a wonderful team and wow. we do Dr. Rashad Ritchie very proud. You are an amazingly brilliant and beautiful woman, a bright light and star. And again, on behalf of Clevelanders, we are a lot better because you raced our televisions <laughs> for so many years. Taught me everything. A We've been taught me a lot. in the community. So I love you so very much. I was joking with you that a couple of weeks ago, I was on with Dr. Ritchie and I'm thinking, where is where is the Sharon Dr. Rich? I what you doing here it. on your own show? <laughs> but um, Nina Turner on Twitter at Nina Turner Ohio on the gram and hell, I don't know what I am on the other platforms, but those two, find you. you can find me. And please That's go right. to wearesomebody.org. We have a capacity building organization for working class people, both unionized and non-unionized, and God knows. That is the labor space is the one space where we all come together, no matter how we vibe politically, we can come together to help to ensure that workers make a living wage in this country. So come on, we are somebody that oh, I got it. Okay, I know we're out of time, but you can have this boot camp, this mass boot camp in person, <laughs> then we'll stream it too. And as you have the little headset on and you're kind of taking people through it, she has no backpack, okay? <laughs> then you can also knowledge, give them little nuggets about labor and things that are going on. I would do that class. Think about I it, Senator. I love that, Sharon. I Think love that. Derek, Derek Doddell, my trainer at yes, Extreme Fitness Compound. Hey, y'all come on through. The, man, the oh, brother is masterful. It. Okay, I love well, that We're going to put that together. We love you, Senator Turner. Love you. Thank you, Dr. Richie, for giving us the platform. I think I was mostly behaved. I don't know. <laughs> How I feel about, well, maybe two of the stories. Uh, not going antiquing anytime soon. I'm Karen <laughs> Reed alongside Senator Nina Turner. This is indisputable. Thanks so much for joining us. 